grace and peace to you this Pentecost Sunday from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I'm Dr. Baron Mullis, I'm the pastor of this congregation, along with our liturgist, the Reverend Megan Lecluse, our director of music, Andrew Sin, and all of our musicians. I am delighted to welcome you to our service of worship. I don't so much have announcements for you today as I have the answers to your burning questions. First, exactly how many Pentecost doves are in this sanctuary? Well, there is one for each member of the congregation and one for those you love. So, you are all represented in this space until we can be back in here again. Which leads me to the second question you may be asking after receiving the letter from the clerk of session to me this week, which is, what are the protocols? You can count on us to let you know a little closer to the time, simply because things are unfolding and things are changing. And as we're able to make advice, we will. So we, we let you know that that will be forthcoming, just not yet. Join me now, if you will, in our responsive call to worship. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to God, for I rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Friends, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So let us turn to God, who is merciful and just, to confess our sin together. God of holiness, you pour out your Spirit upon us. You call us into being as church, and yet our sin is before us. We know that we have not lived up to our baptism. We have not forsaken the ways of sin. We have lingered in doubt and fear and allow them to shape who we are rather than taking our identity from your eternal grace. Forgive us, we pray, and remake and renew us. Fashion from us servants who will give glory to you 
For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our scripture lesson is taken from the latter half of the Pentecost story, which we find in the second chapter of Acts. We begin reading at the 14th verse and continue through the 21st. Listen for the word of God to us this day. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me now, if you will, in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My friend John Cleghorn has recently published a book about how a dying church came back to life a few years ago. 
It's a remarkable story about a church resurrection that started under my late friend Charlie MacDonald and has continued to this day under John's leadership. Their church had already decided to close its doors permanently when a couple asked if they could join the church before it closed. It was important to them to join this particular congregation. This was in the early 2000s because as a gay couple, they had found a welcome there, and that was unusual for them in their experience in that city at that time. As word got out that they were scheduled to close in two weeks, others asked if they could join the congregation. They didn't close. Friends of ours joined the same day. They had been devout Catholic, but due, devout Catholics, but due to divorces in their past, had sought a church that would recognize their union. That's quite a jump from Catholic to Presbyterian, I said, to which she replied, I couldn't take the guilt anymore, that Catholic guilt. And at this moment, I, I grew intrigued because I always thought we Presbyterians had the market cornered on guilt. But she continued, we read about this church in the paper and we thought we ought to give it a try because we like the underdog. We drove over on a Sunday morning and, well, we sat in the car going back and forth, back and forth. Should we go in? Should we not go in? At this point, her husband interjected into the story, and I'll clean him up just a little bit. Uh, he said, whatever, we're going to church. Now, she said, I won't miss church. And I have to tell you, for years, I was the person that showed up with six trays of lasagna for the homeless ministry in my church. And I made it from scratch, and it was a labor of love, even though I wouldn't personally be the one to serve it. She said, and I don't want to be selfish, but where I am right now in my life, I need the church to minister to me. To read the story of Pentecost in Acts is to think about what it means to be church. Now, perhaps more than ever, we need to consider what it means to be church. We need to analyze our ecclesiology so that our ecclesiology says something about God. Pentecost tells the ongoing story of how God continues to create covenant community in order to demonstrate to the world who God is. That is why God called Israel. That is why God calls us now to be God's people, God's covenant community, so that people will see who God is. At Pentecost, the scope of God's chosen people is expanded dramatically to include all the followers of God who have received the Holy Spirit. The gathered people were shown dramatically that God is still creating, still calling, still making covenants with God's people when the wind, the holy ruach of God present in creation is manifested again as the living God, ever the creator, creates the church. I will confess, I had so hoped that circumstances might dictate that we would be back together in person today because Pentecost is such a defining moment for the church. But we will be back together again soon enough. And while we are preparing to return, perhaps we should ponder anew what the Almighty can do, because unlike the J&J &J vaccine, Pentecost isn't one and, one and done. God is always recreating the church. We can't say once and for all what God is doing 
because God is always doing a new thing. Just ask that congregation who thought that God would be done with them in two weeks' time. Or ask my friends who are learning that the church can care for them for a while. Ask anyone who has ever expected the church to be solidly, reliably one way and then found out that it wasn't or it couldn't be, but that precisely by failing to meet our expectations had witnessed to God in some surprising new way. Pentecost makes a mess of expectations. God will be God however God chooses. So too many fixed notions of God won't serve us very well. A fixed God would lead us to a fixed ecclesiology, which of course is just our understanding of the church. But a living God will lead us to a living understanding of the church. And therein lies the challenge of the Pentecost text for us this day. Can we embrace a living ecclesiology? Can we live into the full messiness of a church that proclaims the God whose Holy Spirit pours out on all people, who gives visions and prophecies and portents? Can we appreciate it, what it means to worship that God? Since God gets to be God however God wants to be God, we better pay attention to how God does it. That means living into the messiness of what God made us to be. We are created, every one of us, in the image of the triune God who chooses to self-define in loving community. Living that way, living as though it is true that we are created in the image of this God, Christians are called to value others as much as ourselves. That means participating in each other's lives of faith in all our particularity because we know we are bound together in love even across physical distance and time. If the church embraces a living God, there's a very good chance we will experience the messiness of Pentecost over and over again because a living God never stops working on us and preparing us to show the world who God is. A living God, the living God, who chooses to be God as a living, loving community calls us to show the world a living, loving community. And just as we seek to show others who God is by the manner of our lives, we are shown who God is. My friend Richard Cromey, now deceased, told a story about a little boy raised in a Christian family who went home one day after school and informed his mother that he wanted to become a Jew. The young man's parents were active in their local church, taking him weekly to Sunday school and worship. So, Dr. Cromie said, they were surprised, to put it mildly. With the boy's permission, they decided to consult with the grandparents, which of course is where Dr. Cromie came in. The grandparents immediately began to ask questions of the boy. Oh, why would you want to give up Jesus? Oh, I don't want to give up Jesus, the boy answered. You would have to give up Christmas and Easter, they added. Oh, I don't want to give up Easter and Christmas, he countered. On and on it went. Question, answer, point, counterpoint. Until finally the boy's grandfather asked, Why do you want to become a Jew? 
Dr. Cromie interjected at this point that the best way to elicit good communication from someone who is doing something unexpected is not to go on the offensive with objections and arguments to persuade the other person, particularly if the other person is a child, but rather to ask why. Why do you want to become a Jew? The boy's voice grew softer. He said, well, you see, I have a friend named David. He is the only Jew in our whole class. I just thought it would be nice if he had me as a friend so the two of us could be Jewish together. And then if anyone ever wanted to pick on a Jewish boy, if they ever told him that he and his family were wrong and that he had to switch to being a Christian to get to heaven, well, then there would be two of us. That's an ecclesiology of a living God. That's an understanding of life that gets that the church's whole reason to be is as an extension of God's love for us. That's an ecclesiology that reflects a living God who defines God's self in love and mutuality. That's an understanding of God that grasps that as God is with us, so we are with others. At Pentecost, God did a new thing. Actually, God did a really old thing the same old-slash-new thing that God has been up to since creation, breathing life into us in a new way. And if we believe that God is alive, and if we believe in God's eternal care, well, then we can live knowing that the God who is alive and invites us to new life, the God who invites us to sit at table with the risen Christ, that God, that living God, can be trusted to do all the things that God has always done. That God can be trusted to keep the promises that God has always kept. So how is God doing that today? Among other ways, I see it at a called session meeting where our elders spend an hour and a half making a plan for us to reopen in time that explicitly includes everyone. That's why it'll take a little longer, so that we can include everyone in the life of the church when we come back together, whether they can be physically in this building or not. I see it in meals and groceries dropped off with those for whom the risk of going to the store this past year was simply too great. I see it in the leaders that we will ordain and install today. I see it in the ways we have creatively sought to live our calling to be the church, even as we have had to be distanced. But that's just how I see it. How do you see the living, loving God creating and recreating church, making all things new? How do you see it? But maybe the better question is this. When you see it, when you see God's Holy Spirit at work, what are you going to do about it? Whatever it is, let's do it together, starting right here at this table. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. There are a variety of gifts, but it is the same Spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving God, but it is the same Lord who is served. God works through each person in a unique way, but it is God's purpose that is accomplished.
to each is given a gift of the Spirit to be used for the common good. Together, we are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are all called into the Church of Jesus Christ by baptism and marked as Christ's own by the Holy Spirit. This is our common calling, to be disciples and servants of our servant Lord. Within the community of the church, some are called to particular service as deacons, as elders, and as ministers of word and sacrament. Ordination is Christ's gift to the church, assuring that his ministry continues among us, providing for ministries of caring and compassion in the world, ordering the governance of the church, and preaching the word and administering the sacraments. Representing the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the session of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia now ordains Doug Boyd and Jordana Woodford to the office of elder and installs them to service on the session. The session also installs Reggie Amoa, Susie Christensen, Carol Cook, and Shelley Unger to active service. The session ordains Ann Futterer, Mary Ellen Van Royen, and Klaus Wallhout to the office of deacon and installs them on the board. The session also installs Michael Smith, and Bill Swoop to active service. In coming into active service as deacons and elders of the church, it is right that you should make answer to these questions publicly. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you, do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture teaches us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you and will you? Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world. Will you? Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? Do you? Will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Will you? To those being ordained to the office of deacon, this question is yours uniquely. Will you be a faithful deacon urging charity, teaching concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need. In your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? And to those being ordained uniquely to the office of elder, will you be a faithful elder watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in, the gov in government and discipline serving in the governing bodies of the church, and in your ministry will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? Do we, the members of the church, accept Doug, Jordana, Reggie, Carol, Susie, Shelley, Anne, Mary Ellen, Klaus, Michael, and Bill as elders and deacons, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation, to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? Do we? Do we agree to encourage them to respect the decisions of the session and to follow our officers as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is the head of the church? Do we? Let us pray together. Eternal God, we give you thanks for your steadfast faithfulness to us. In every age, you have called forth leaders to serve you and equipped them with your gifts. Among your people, Israel, you anointed prophets, priests, and rulers. You called pastors and teachers, bishops, elders, and deacons to build up your church. 
With Moses, the 70 elders bore the burdens of your people, ministering in the power of your spirit. Alongside the apostles, deacons cared for all in need and guarded the community's peace. In the church, deacons, elders, and pastors served together so that your whole people might be equipped for ministry and built up into the full unity of Christ. For your servants in every age, O God, and for the church of Jesus Christ, we give you all thanks and praise. God of grace, pour out your Holy Spirit on Anne and Joao, Michael, Bill, Mary Ellen, and Kloss, that they may be faithful deacons in the church. Give them openness to the Holy Spirit's leading, that they may see and serve wherever there is need. Train them in the school of prayer, that they may express the compassion of Christ for the poor and friendless, the sick, the grieving, and the troubled. Equip them with courage to bear the gospel into the halls of power and to communicate your presence and might among those who are powerless. In everything, give them the mind of Christ, who did not grasp at greatness but emptied himself to become a servant of your reign. Give them joy in their walk of faith and a sure sense of your abiding presence for their work of ministry. God of grace, pour out your Holy Spirit on Reggie and Doug, Susie, Carol, Shelley, and Jordana, that they may be your faithful elders in the church. Give them prudence and sound judgment, wisdom and courage to order the life of the church in obedience to your word. Nourish them in the life of the Holy Spirit that they may exercise the ministry of discipline with humility and compassion. Guide them in governance on this session and in every court of the church, that they may be servant leaders following Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life to set others free. Give them joy in their walk of faith and a sure sense of your abiding presence in their work for ministry. We give you thanks particularly for those whose service in active duty has con concluded, for Jeannie and Rebecca and Larry, and for Rebecca and Jean as deacons. We give you thanks for the commitment they have borne for our church, for the work they have done, and the leadership they have offered. Gracious God, through the waters of baptism, you claimed us as your own and called us to share in Christ's ministry. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that we may discern the gifts you have given, calling them forth from one another and together use these gifts for the good of all. In obedience to Christ and in the unity of his spirit, may we proclaim good news, make disciples, be light and leaven, share our bread, offer a cup of cold water, wash one another's feet, make us strong in Christ, to live as your people and show forth your saving love in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I declare that you are now deacons and elders in the Church of Jesus Christ and for this particular congregation. Be faithful and true in your ministry so that your whole life will bear witness to the crucified and risen Christ. Freely we have received, now freely let us give our morning offering.
This is the joyful feast of the Lord. And scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Savior. And that is simply another way of saying everyone is welcome. Because Christ is the host, this table is open to all who are sorry for their sins and cast their trust in him. So dear friends, come, because this is not a Presbyterian table. It is not even the church's table. It belongs to none but Jesus Christ, who calls us all and who calls you. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, eternal God, creator and ruler of the universe. With the majesty of your hand, you shaped this world and all that is in it. By your Holy Spirit, you breathed life into human form and set us on the earth to praise and serve you. When we wandered from your ways and were lost in sin's wilderness, your truth burned in the hearts of prophets who called your people to return to the path of righteousness. In the fullness of time, you sent your Son to be our deliverer. In every age, your Holy Spirit has led us in your ways. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. At his baptism by John, your spirit came with gentle wings, settling on him your blessing. In the wilderness of temptation, your spirit stood by with power. In his life and ministry, your spirit led him to serve the poor, proclaim freedom from sin's bondage, open eyes with faith's sight, and befriend the friendless and the outcast. In all he did and said, he announced the coming of your saving might. By his death on the cross and rising from the tomb, he broke the power of death and led the way to eternal life. Ascended to rule from on high, Christ prays for us and promises the coming of peace and power. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died. Christ, Christ is risen. risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. 
As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. By the fire of your spirit, O God, forge us into one church, many and different people together in Christ's embrace. Set our hearts aflame with a love for the truth and the desire to do your will, that our witness to Christ may burn brightly in lives of joyful discipleship. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, with the Holy Spirit in the Holy Church, now and forever. Hear these prayers and the prayer that Jesus taught us to say together, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night he was arrested, Jesus was gathered with his friends and disciples, and he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let, Let us keep, keep the feast. feast. Let us pray once more. Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your loving embrace. Having thus fed us at Christ's table, send us now to be his body, for it is in his name that we make these and all of our prayers. Amen.
Go in peace as God's beloved who have been fed at Christ's table in the sure and certain knowledge that you will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.